Thanks for taking the time to listen to our latest content here on the Blood Red channel. Guy here with just a quick message. Do you want the very latest Liverpool FC news directly into your inbox? Well then sign up to our daily LFC newsletter, which will bring you the breaking news and big events from around Anfield. To subscribe, just go to bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash LFC newsletter. Or click the link in the description of this podcast and pop in your email address. It really is that simple. That link once more bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. Well, thanks for your time and on with the podcast. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Step one of the return to training protocol has been given the green light. So is it all systems go? I'm Guy Clark and welcome along to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo as we get set to talk about the big news out of the Premier League this afternoon that could well provide Liverpool with a major boost in securing that elusive first Premier League title. Alongside me to talk about that and plenty more besides as well this Monday afternoon is our very own Ian Doyle, Dan Kay and Matt Addison. Gentlemen, how are you all? Sound? Not very bad. Yeah, very, very good. Thank you. Well, it's the day, I suppose, that we've been waiting for in many respects, a Premier League meeting that has actually given us some news. And Doyle, I'll come to you first of all. And the news is, of course, that from Tuesday afternoon, Premier League sides will be able to return to training. So I suppose baby steps, but we're getting there for a return to action, are we? Well, it looks as though some steps have been taken, yeah. I mean, just because the teams can go back training on Tuesday doesn't mean they actually will be. I mean, as far as I know, that Liverpool won't be back until Wednesday at the very earliest. could be later, but probably Wednesday. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it's nice that there's actually been a decision being made whereby we can actually see something from it almost immediately. Because there will be teams that tomorrow are training they're out in the training pictures it means we get to see lots of lovely training pictures again which uh, you know us journalists absolutely love um so it will be nice to see the players back out there doing something and to be honest with the players they'll be made up even if it's not quite the same as you know th- th- there's going to be no contact training there'll be no no actual you know challenges no no real football being played as of yet but it's as anybody who's tried to keep them fit under lockdown knows it's a lot easier when there's more of you around than it is just doing it by yourself so to be trained, I think it's groups of five. I think they've said so. It is a step in the right direction, whether or not it means they end up playing a game because they're still talking about okay, great, we start training this week. And we, we spoke, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago about it being June the 8th, then it was June the 12th. Now it looks as though it's going to be June the 19th for a start uh, for Premier League action on the Friday. So, I mean, it, it could be then, it might not. I, I do get the impression that there will be one or two obstacles in the way that may or may not be uh, brought up by certain clubs that we've mentioned many times over the past two months. Yeah, Doyley says there, Dan, about keeping fit during isolation lockdown. I have to say most of the time I'm based in the kitchen. I have to say the biscuits have all gone. They got eaten and I've not replaced them. I've not bought any more because that wasn't going well for me. But <laughs> Jason Irish Red on, on YouTube, those of you who, who are joining us on YouTube, do leave us any uh, questions you have in the comments section. We will try to answer as many of them as you can. But Jason Irish Red says, folks, can anybody tell me null and void? Is that officially now out of the question? you'd have to feel that that probably is now the case. Well, I'll answer it and say, yeah, yeah. It, is, it is. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And I don't think it ever was going to happen, to be honest, because if it would have happened, it would have happened by now. They'd have just yeah. called it off straight away. So, 
Okay, bad news for those clubs? <laughs> yeah, I, I think Doyle's spot on there. I mean, I, I also agree with him when he says that the news that you know we're all talking about and they're all pleased to hear today doesn't mean that we're going to be seeing a Premier League game next weekend or the weekend after. I agree with Ian. I think that there will still be some significant obstacles in terms of actually getting games on because, as we know, there is no real consensus yet between the clubs. Some clubs want it relegation off the table. Um, you know, there, there are plenty of agendas being being brought to bear. But I think the the, the key point, in particularly regarding that question, is that yeah, null and void must be off the table because if and we hope this doesn't happen, but if for whatever reason they're not able to get on the field, I think we would end up seeing what we've seen confirmed today in Scotland and in Belgium and in other leagues around Europe recently where there would be a decision made, whether it's on points per game or whatever, that titles, relegation would be doled out on on a basis of the games already being played. We hope that doesn't happen. We, we, you know, I think most true football fans, unless they've got their own axe to grind, will want to see the season played to a conclusion. And today certainly feels like you know, probably the most significant step in the right direction that we've had thus far. Matt, does what adds to it all feeling as though there's that excitement of maybe returning to Premier League action? Of course, what we saw at the weekend with what happened in Germany, Bundesliga football returning, obviously the empty stadiums, but it was broadcast, many people watching it. It did sort of whet the appetite for for what might happen over here. Yeah, definitely. I think for for me, it's sort of, obviously, we've known that this was the plan to play behind closed doors, but to actually see a league as, as big as the Bundesliga come back and do that and I'm sure, you know, thousands of people will have tuned in to watch it. It just sort of made it all feel a little bit more real and a little bit closer. Um, Obviously, today has been, I think, a a fairly significant step in terms of allowing uh, English clubs to to return to training. But I think over the weekend, that was kind of a big step as well, because it sort of showed that if the Bundesliga can do it, okay, it's not quite the same situation in terms of the virus between Germany and, and England at this moment in time. But if they've got to a position where they can do that, then I think it sort of gives a bit of hope for the English clubs to, to be able to do the same thing at some point down the line as well. And, you know, for me, the fact that there was no fans there didn't didn't really make a huge amount of difference. I know I, I've spoken about this a couple of times now, but I just, for, for me, I don't know whether it was because it was the first matches back and I was just so desperate to see any kind of football on television. It, it, you know, it could have been a, a kid's game and maybe I would still have been happy with that. But whether it was that, whether it's, you know, the fact that I'm used to, to watching under 18s and, and 23s games and things like that, where you, you go along for the football rather than for the experience, if you like. You know, for, for whatever reason, it, it, it didn't seem to bother me that there was no fans there. Obviously, you don't want that long term. And I'm, I'm obviously not suggesting that by, by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, the, the fact that there was no fans there and people still seem to enjoy it again, I think that can only be a good thing because it sort of takes another obstacle. And, and OK, there's, there's still hundreds of obstacles, but it, it's it's one less. The fact that there being no fans there didn't really make a, a huge amount of difference, it seems. Yeah, and bringing it to, to where we are then, Doyle, in this Premier League statement that's come out today, paragraphs in it reading, step one of the return to training protocol enables squads to train whilst maintaining social distancing. Contact training is not yet permitted. This is the first stage that has been agreed in consultation with players, managers, Premier League club doctors, 
independent experts and the government. So there is some things that they can agree on. But obviously, we're, we're not at that stage yet of even seeing sort of everybody in training together as would be normally the case. There is still going to be, of course, that social distancing that, that has to remain in place. Yeah, well, I mean, they've taken, as Matt said, the lead from Germany because that's what happened. They were training in, I think it was Perth initially, in Germany about four weeks ago, something like that. So, you know, yeah, it's great that Germany in the Bundesliga is playing, but, you know, they asked England and Liverpool, all the clubs, the Premier League clubs, they're still five weeks behind. It's still, it's going to be, as as Dan said, it's going to be a long time before we see any games played in England. It may even be pushed back beyond uh, June June, June the 19th. So, in terms of actually the training, yeah, you're right. They're gonna they've agreed to this protocol, this phase, I should say, of the protocol. I'd imagine that in a week or whenever they'll come back and they'll thrash out the next bit, and that'll just keep on going because nobody wants to be seen to be making the wrong move in terms of possibly compromising the health, not only the players and the staff, but they've also I've seen a story today that some of the um, again some of the lower league clubs are suggesting that making sure that clubs actually, when I say lowly, obviously mean teams at the bottom. This is just what the story said. I think it was in the Telegraph today that said that they're pushing for families to be, families of players to be tested as well. And I know for a fact that there was an interview with Adrian, the Liverpool goalkeeper, over the weekend, and he said that Liverpool are going to do that. So I think that will be something that will be rolled out across the whole of the Premier League because, for you know, if you look at it from, we've talked spoke, spoke about how can football be discussing coming back when this is happening, but it's an industry as well as a sport. There's, you know, there's a lot of money involved and they don't want to compromise the product, as it were. I know these are phrases that no real football fan likes to hear, but that, that is that is what it is, basically. Let's be perfectly honest about it. That's why we're on this podcast now. So that's what's going to happen. There are going to be more arguments. I think just looking at the Bundesliga, I, I agree. I mean, I watched the games, and while if you are at the stadium, I would imagine it would have been a very different experience to watching it on television because you literally would have just been able to hear yourself think most of the time. And it was interesting when the goals went in that you, they were still cheering because people forget there's still you know 100 odd people associated with one particular club in that stadium, and there will be people watching it who are working you know, in, in security or whatever who... We'll have an allegiance to certain clubs, so when you know when your team scores, you, you're going to cheer. So I don't think anybody's going to you know complain too much about that. But I'm not sure that we'll get on to the uh, Marco Gruich getting a kiss story a bit later on, which was a little bit strange. But well, you know the outrage wasn't so much that that he possibly could have you know been kissed on the cheek. I think it was, but it's the fact that one of his teammates was so close to him. So I still think, as we say, even though Germany's a lot further down the line, they're still very very wary of social distancing or the message that's, that's being put across, especially when, as I think we've read a few times today, that possibly the viewing figures for these Bundesliga games were the highest there's, there's ever been across the world for, for German football ever. Yeah, that is likely to be the case, I suppose, isn't it? But just a final point on this return to, to training protocol, Dan. In terms of next week's looming deadline from UA for of wanting to know that sort of each league's aim to, to try and get their seasons done and dusted. I suppose we are now not only in terms of returning to action, beginning to take steps and, and move forward. We've the, the, the four of us have spoken a number of times on this very podcast about how there's been a lack of unity and a lack of agreement, but it does look now as though everybody is beginning to, to do what they can to, to move this along. Well, we would hope so. I mean, I, I think that still remains to be seen because, you know, the, the, the sums of money and the impact of what's happened and the potential relegation is so seismic that the clubs affected by it that we may yet see some of them 
I think a lot of them might be thinking, you know, those with a, with an axe to grind might be thinking, well, we pick our battles. And, you know, when they want to cause eruption, it's about picking the right time to do so. <clears throat> Matt made the point before we came on air that um, <clears throat> Germany started this weekend. <clears throat> they actually went back to training about six weeks ago, as, as, as opposed to the four that Tori mentioned there. So I think, yeah, realistically, I, I would be surprised if there's anything in June. I think early July is is the earliest when, when we would see um, any any potential action actually on the pitch. But, you know, the, but the, the, the wheels are in motion. As regards the, the European, you know, May 25th, which obviously is a very important Liverpool date as it is anyway, is obviously this, this date that's been ringed in red for some time. Now, I think, I think I'm right in saying that last week there was some indication coming from UEFA that there might be some flexibility with that deadline. Because to be honest, I was one of those that was very concerned by the fact that because Britain in general was so far behind the rest of Europe in terms of how we'd handled it, that might possibly be the kind of like the the high watermark where all of a sudden the Premier League might find itself on its own. That being said, the, you know, the Premier League has such an importance in terms of finance, it, particularly in, in term, you know, as regards European football. But I think if there's any way of getting uh, in, you know, the Premier League back on and, and of course back into European competitions where there, I think there's still a couple of English teams still in the Champions League, aren't there? Well, there's one. City's yeah. the only one now, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we, you would imagine we get some more clarification on that on that next week. Um, but you know, um, the majority of European leagues do seem to be moving forward. The ones that have already said they're going to try and play, obviously, some have cancelled it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think the, the next week or two is going to be very, very interesting, as little by little, extra layers are kind of built onto what's being you know tentatively put in place at the moment. I suppose we're really. I was going to say about the. I was going to say about the wafer uh, thing. I think they've announced just uh, an hour ago or so that they've actually postponed the meeting that we're going to have next week, and they're going to they pushed it back three weeks. But that's really? more. That's more to do with there was something about Euro twenty twenty one venues where, obviously, that competition is one where typically with bad timing, it's one where it's played all across Europe at the one time where it probably doesn't need to be. And the, the the suggestion is that there's two or three venues that possibly might not be able to or are considering pulling out. So I think they've, cat, they've postponed the meeting by three weeks, the executive committee, but that also ties in with what Dan said about this date, which was meant to be May the 25th, I think you said, and I think that's getting put back now. Not indefinitely, but they, they, they never said it was a deadline as such. It's the old thing, isn't it? Yeah, we need to know by this time. And then the nearer it got, it was, well, it's not a deadline. It's just more like guidance. We need to know, you know, kind of give us an idea of what's going on, you know, that kind of thing. So I still think there'll be games played in June. I still possibly think June the 19th might be around about the right. The difference is that if it goes to June the 26th, they're just going to have to play a load of midweek games as well, which I think they're not massively keen on because of the actual workload on the players. But these are unusual times. I don't want to say unprecedented because we've all said that a million times over. Um, this is not the new normal, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, these are these are different times. So I think that's why we I mean, saw there was five subs made by each team in the, the Bundesliga, which was a bit odd to watch. You know, I think it's half your team being replaced. So I think they'll they'll find a way of doing it. And I think, not for the first time, Germany's leading the way. 
Yeah, and I suppose we're going to see that trade-off, Matt. Of, I think Oliver Dowden, the, the culture secretary, has been speaking today actually about how he wants, and the government obviously want football back as soon as possible. And I suppose that ties in with what Doyley says about it being an industry rather than a sport. Yet from the sporting side of things, the professionals, the the, the medics and whatnot, looking after player welfare, are saying, well they're going to need to go back for a, a mini pre-season and then we're not going to be able to put all of these demands of games on them quite so quickly because otherwise they'll be picking up injuries and there won't be enough players to pick through injury, let alone anything else that's going on. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a balance, isn't it? Obviously, I think the finances are a huge part of football nowadays, as, as Ian said, and you know, there's no way around that. But of course, if you do put too much strain on the players, maybe the product then will suffer as a result. And, and long term, there could be some imp- implications on that. So, I mean, you, you do have to get that, that balance right. But I think you've just got to, to trust the medical experts. And, you know, that statement today says that, you know, doctors, managers, players, the government, everyone who could possibly have been, you know, asked about this has been asked. And, you know, just to, to go back to the sort of Germany example, I mean, it, it is actually six weeks exactly today since Bayern Munich went back to training, effectively the, the same as what Liverpool will be doing this week and, and the rest of the Premier League clubs. So we are effectively six weeks behind what they did in Germany. I think it was only um, a week before the Bundesliga returned that they trained normally. I think they had four or five weeks of socially distant training before they were allowed to, to sort of come back properly. So it, just to, to sort of add a bit more context really to that, it's, it's only in the last sort of week, week and a half that, that German football has come back. And that sort of puts into context really the sort of time frame that we might be looking at, I think, June the 19th, potentially the Premier League could come back. But I think it, it's certainly not going to be the 12th, which was the initial plan. And, you know, looking at the, the sort of time frames, it's possible that the Bundesliga might have finished by the time that the Premier League comes back. So different are the, are the two scenarios. So in terms of aligning everyone and, and getting everyone on the same page across Europe, that certainly seems to have gone out of the window at this stage. Yeah, it seems like a logistical logistical nightmare even trying to uh, think of that prospect. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Ian, then one other thing, that a big thing that's come out today, of course, is the action that Scotland have taken. Now, of course, we can talk about how different countries across Europe are going to be trying to, to get their football played. But at the heart of this, obviously, is how Britain in, it, in itself is going to try and come out of this virus. Scotland have taken the decision that football wasn't going to be continued. That obviously threw a vote from the, the members of the SPFL. But I suppose the, the point I wanted to ask you about was you championed Liverpool being asterisk champions a couple of weeks ago on this podcast saying actually it just highlights the dominance that Liverpool had in the Premier League. Celtic fans today haven't been shy in celebrating, of course, what is nine in a row for them. I suppose Liverpool fans, however this gets confirmed, are still going to have a great big celebration whenever it does happen. Yeah, I think there was a bit of political skullduggery going on up in Scotland. Who'd have thought that, eh? Between Celtic and Rangers. Because um, I think initially, this is just going off my understanding of the situation, just from reading like anybody else, is that I think everybody was kind of expecting them to vote to play the games, and then mm-hmm. not so much at the last minute, but they then changed the mind. Was it Dundee abstained or something like that? Or, or there was, and funny enough, it's not Rangers who've come out and been really angry about it today. It's it's Hearts. Um I think Dan pointed out to us yeah. earlier today that in the statement they've said they, they haven't said that they were relegated from the SPL. They've said they were expelled. So 
I, I would imagine there might be some kind of legal action coming, which is exactly what the Premier League don't want. Because if there's a if they're playing for a lot of money in that sense, then you know the, it's going to cost them a lot of money if teams start going. Hang on a minute. Well, I don't want to be you know we don't want to be out of this Premier League because it's going to you know you can't really put an amount on it as such. So they'll just go for the biggest amount possible. So that's another thing that has to be taken into consideration. I think with with Scotland, while it is the UK. Funnily enough, I think Scotland, from just going from the numbers without being a scientist, but seeing that it seems to have not affected Scotland as badly as it's affected England, so possibly they could have played. They'd have been more acceptable for them to do, you know, to train, to play, whatever have you. But for for whatever reason behind the scenes, they've taken this decision. I mean, it it is for logistics. You just mentioned it is the easiest thing is just to call time and say right you from the league, you're relegated, you're in Europe. It's a lot easier to do that. I think there's a different, you know, there's obviously two massive dominant forces up in Scotland in Celtic and Rangers, and they're the teams that, I wouldn't say control things, but they've got a bigger influence over it than the likes of Hearts, for example. So I, I would, let's put it this way. If it was Celtic that were going to get relegated, I'm pretty sure they would still be playing. Let's put it that way. Mm. No, as you say, that political point of view, actually with Hearts, of course, from from the capital, one of the third or fourth biggest supported clubs in the whole of the country. And with them getting relegated, there is that feeling politically, Dan, that it was done on the vote of championship clubs looking at it and thinking, well, if Hearts comes down, it's it'll be a payday when their away fans come and visit our ground. But a number of their supporters have turned straight round and said, well, we'll be boycotting any away games as of next season. Well, yeah, that might be a decision that's, take, that's taken for them. Um, I mean, it, it, it did seem, quite, as Jordy said, it's not unusual for there to be a fair degree of acrimony. I think that there was a story floating around last week, wasn't there? That didn't Rangers make some allegations that some of the clubs have been lent on and that the, the SPL well, put out quite I, a strong statement yeah. refusing that? I can't remember which team it was. I think it was Dundee. I don't know for sure. Don't quote me on that. He says, mm. speaking on a podcast, quoted himself. But, you know, <laughs> I think it was certainly, there was some suggestion that a team had kind of said, we're going to do this. And at the last minute, either, I think they abstained and they didn't vote. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, the SPL said, well, the SFA, sorry, said that they didn't find any any proof of any, any, any wrongdoing. So you can't yeah. take them by the word. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just it is interesting to see that they've gone this way, though, because you know the the general a lot of the noises you've heard from, like for example, the lower league clubs in 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 England, League One, League Two, is that they desperately need games on. You know, because the the, the majority of their uh, income is derived from ticket sales, and apart from you know the likes of Rangers themselves, you would imagine the clubs, the yeah, emotional clubs in the SPL are in the same situation. So whether their thinking is, well, when we're able to actually play football, we want it to be starting from next season, so we're not catching up with ourselves, maybe that's the rationale behind it. But as I've said a few times when we've been discussing the issue about voiding and, and this, that and the other, no, 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 no one can guarantee that there isn't going to be another lockdown in the future. Obviously, that's not what anyone wants, God forbid, but I think we all have to accept the fact that that is a possibility. But what happens if you get a third or halfway into next season and it shuts down again? Do you void that one as well? You know, it, it is a slippery slope, but you know, uh, our, our northern cousins south of Hadrian's Wall have made their bed and they're going to have to lie in it. Yeah, who would have thought that Scottish football would be uh, leading something that we, we spoke about on the Blood Red podcast? But anyway, let's let's head back to the Bundesliga. A couple of things to, to talk about there and where the football is, of course, happening. And 
Well, Matt, there's, of course, Erling Braut Haaland, who Liverpool have seen a fair bit of already in the Champions League this season, playing for uh, Red Bull Salzburg. But, I mean, the, the boy just continues to score goals and with doing that, continues to have his name pushed around and spoken about by clubs such as Liverpool being rumoured to be interested or whatever we say with transfer rumours. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I think he's one of those that this certainly won't be the last time that he pops up in, in Liverpool sort of transfer links and that sort of thing because Liverpool are, are one of the biggest clubs in the world, one of the best clubs in the world and, and he seemingly is one of the next big things. I know we've we've said that a number of times but I think his goal record, what is it, 41 in 34, something like that this season, that kind of just speaks for itself when you think of the sort of age that he is and the fact that probably this time last year, not very many people would have heard of him at all. So for him to have, you know, come in and, and obviously done what he's done first for Salzburg and, and then for Borussia Dortmund and to do it in the Bundesliga, to do it in the Champions League, obviously he scored at Anfield as well earlier this season. So, you know, he, his sort of record and his talent seemingly is only going one way. So it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens. I think certainly... He's not going to be moving anywhere this summer. It would be in future. But yeah, the, the sort of reported £63 million release clause, which comes into effect supposedly in two years' time. You know, Who knows what will happen with the transfer market between now and then after coronavirus. But at this moment in time, that certainly would seem fairly cheap. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of clubs, You know, if not Liverpool, then certainly you know, Real Madrid or, or Barcelona or PSG or whoever, there's going to be a long line of clubs looking at him. Yeah, it certainly does feel as though that's going to be the case. The book on the shelf today, Doyle, Michael Owen's reboot book. Of course, a teenage sensation in his own right in his days at, at Liverpool and Erling Haaland at 19 years, years, of, years of age. Matt talking there about how many goals he's scored this season. It is unbelievable. And also, with his celebrating on uh, on Saturday, got his social distancing correct, whilst Hertha Berlin, you, you mentioned Marco Gruic's side, didn't quite get theirs right, did they? No, they did not. No, no, that was a little bit unusual. Uh, going back to Haaland, it was uh, Fabio Capello that sparked everything off yesterday, speaking on Sky Italia. And he, he said that he'd be perfect for Liverpool because not only because of the way he plays, but his, his pace and his, his physique... And the fact that Jurgen Klopp is the kind of manager who, who improves younger players. So, you know, well done to Fabio there for uh, giving Liverpool a hard sell. But, I mean, I've written something today. Not so much saying that Liverpool are interested. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Liverpool will be interested, of course. They will. Why wouldn't you be? You know, he's one of the up-and-coming youngsters. And this time, next year, the front three will all be in the 30th year. So, they're not going to get any younger. It's an interesting thing with Haaland, I think, is that he doesn't hang around, does he? He'd literally only just arrived at Dortmund and he was already talking up, yeah, I wouldn't mind playing for Real Madrid or something, whatever it was the, the the question was, which is interesting, really, if you've seen the video knocking around of him getting interviewed. He doesn't really say a lot, when he, certainly when he's interviewed after a game. So uh, it, for him to actually come out and say stuff like that, it, it, it is interesting. I mean, let's be honest, what is he, 19? He's, he's still a bit raw for me, I have to be honest. I mean, I saw him in the two games against Liverpool. I mean, the, the game in Salzburg, he, he had one or two half chances or decent open which he made himself but by the end he'd been subbed and he, he lost his rag a little bit didn't he, he was, I think he threw a drinks bottle or kicked it or something like that well that's fair enough I mean you know he wants to win and that's a good sign in that sense but you know as a player he is a little bit he's a bit freakish isn't he if I can say that in a positive way you know it's like he shouldn't be that fast for somebody who's that tall and he shouldn't have that amount of you know I'm not going to say 
good touch for a big man kind of thing. But but it's right. It's when right. he says it, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. That is, it's a cliche. That the reason these cliches are, are cliches is because mostly the truth. That's why. So um, he, he is. I mean, let's be honest. He will be great for Liverpool, but he's not going to be coming this season. And whether he comes next year, who knows? You know, there's, there's going to be another two transfer windows before then, and God knows what's going to be happening with the you know, the landscape of football by then, as Matt said. So it's one where it was, it's it's the, the funny thing is that Capello didn't say, "Oh yeah, he, they're good for Man United," which I know United obviously desperate to sign him, and they tried to sign him in uh, in January. So I know it's a good sign for Liverpool that that you know you got a, 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 a you know famous. A respected football personality name such as Fabio Capello, just thinking straight away, oh yeah, he's a really good player and he'd be really good to play for Liverpool because it shows the standing that the club had at the moment. And if they do decide they want to pursue player X, Y, or Z, we've seen with Timo Werner, who's not exactly been subtle with his uh, desperation to move to Liverpool, and you know he probably won't be the only one. You only have to see the amount of names that Liverpool get linked with, as you said, guy. The uh, Always the players agent tends to be doing a great job at putting his name around. And if and if Liverpool are, are linked, then that's surely a good sign for your player. So that's why these things are there. Yeah, I think Chalar Sonchu's agent's also been playing that game today <laughs> <Yeah>. as today <laughs> as well. Um we're obviously not gonna get into him, but Dan on uh, Erling Haaland. Just thinking of the way Doyley was saying there that obviously that front three by next year or whatever would be into their 30th year it is the summer of 2021 that 63 million pound release clause becomes active now whilst at Liverpool Jurgen Klopp probably hasn't really operated with a, a focal out and out typical number nine target man striker he did of course at Dortmund and did of course with a with a player like Robert Lewandowski yeah I mean when you know I was first reading uh, Capello's comments you know my initial reaction was he doesn't feel like a a natural Jurgen Klopp forward, certainly in in terms of what we've seen in Anfield in the last few years. But maybe it's a little unfair to kind of pigeonhole Klopp as having one way of playing. I think maybe if there's one thing that does sum up uh, you know the Klopp era at Liverpool, it's it's a variety of approach, but also an an ability to adapt and evolve over time. As Billy rightly pointed out, you know the front three will all be in their thirtieth year next year. People always said the secret of Liverpool's success in the past was that you know they they always replaced players just before they got past the best. So I don't think there's any doubt that um, there will be conversations had about about Raoul Haaland. Also, due to the fact that you know one of his Salzburg mates, Takumi Minamino, is already at Anfield. So you know that th- that would be you know a potential area for Liverpool to explore should they want to go down that route. But you know, as 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 Jordi did point out. It, it's very, very unlikely anything will be happening anytime soon. As as well, though, he's done, as Matt pointed out earlier, 12 months ago, I certainly hadn't heard of him. And I, and I don't think most football fans have either. He is on this incredible, I think you have to call it more than a hot streak because, you know, he's, he's been scoring goals pretty much relentlessly all season. I remember in the build-up to the first game against Salzburg at Anfield in September, I think he had an injury, hadn't he? And he didn't start the game. Um, but... You know, and Salzburg were three down at half time, I think. But he but he came on and scored the equalising goal within a few minutes of being on the pitch. And he does seem to have, um, you know, it, there's more than he's there's more to his game than just lumping it along for him to, to win flick-ons. You know, what will be really interesting interesting to see is how his game evolves over the next couple of years, and if it does, in the way that it's that the signs over the last year 
so suggest that it might, then I think Liverpool, along with every other top club, will be very interested. And I suppose, Matt, in terms of whether or not Liverpool would be interested or how he would fit, just playing devil's advocate, Roberto Firmino is such a brilliant player, but you almost feel he's a one-off in the way he is, that when Liverpool do come to replace the forward three that they do have, trying to replace Salah, Firmino and Mane like for like in how they operate is probably going to be near on impossible. So it might be a way in which Liverpool have to rejig how they how they assemble a forward line. Yeah, definitely. I don't think you're going to find an identical, you know, Roberto Firmino version too. So, yeah, maybe it is a way for Liverpool to evolve. And it's also a way for Liverpool to stay at the top as well. Obviously, the longer you stay still and and continue with the same idea, the more likely you are to be found out. So, obviously, as Dan says, Liverpool have progressed from, if you look at what Jurgen Klopp's tactics were on on day one to today, they're, they're very different I would say I don't think you know that's going to stop I think Liverpool will continue to evolve but for me the, the interesting thing with Haaland I mean I know Timo Werner gets gets mentioned a lot here and you know we, we've sort of noted his press sort of flirting with Liverpool if you like the sort of you know no it, there's no secret about it that he'd like to join Liverpool let's put it that way and the fact that he loves Jurgen Klopp and that sort of thing and you sort of compare that to what Haaland did you know, as Doyley says, his interview after the, the game over the weekend was very sort of abrupt. And yeah, you'd imagine his agent, and I think his agent might be Mino Raiola. I might be wrong on that. Yeah, uh, I think he may well have a few words for him in terms of, you know, trying to, to sell himself and, and make himself a bit more of a brand as much as we might not like that. I think he might have to evolve not only as a footballer, but maybe as a, a little bit of a, a personality as well, because... I don't think he came across brilliantly over the weekend. Whether that was whether that was you know a, a young age kind of thing, maybe he was a bit nervous or, or whatever. But I don't think it was that great. Wasn't it a bit of a, sorry to jump in? Wasn't it a bit of a harsh edit on that video? Because I've seen a few tweets today going, he's not normally like that. They basically chopped the end off to make him look daft. Even so, though, I think that yeah. there has been a couple of occasions where that's been the case. It, it's not the first time. That, that he's sort of done that. I think he's done that in Champions League matches in the past. And I think it was Jackie Oatley was, was tweeting before to say that, you know, a, a few of the, the Norwegian press as well have, have been less than impressed with him. So it, look, it, it might just be, it might just be nerves. And I think, you know, for a 19 year old, you, you sort of give him the benefit, benefit of the doubt for now, but it's something that, you know, as a footballer, you can't sort of do that too often and, and get away with it. I don't think. Yeah, I think it's one of those as a a 19-year-old, a bit of a bullshit teenager. He he just gets a bit bored towards the end of the interviews and wraps them up himself. And Well, in terms of wrapping up, one final point for us to just get into before we leave you for for this edition of the Blood Red podcast. And this week being Mental Health Awareness Week, former Liverpool winger Craig Bellamy has been speaking in a number of publications, but he's been speaking with Sky Sports today. And one of the key topics he got onto, Dan, was talking about his relationship with Rafael Benitez the manager who signed him first time round from Blackburn Rovers in 2006 I think it was wasn't it that Bellamy arrived for the first time at Liverpool and saying that he knew from day one well he knew from even prior to signing on the dotted line that that relationship might not work too well yeah it was a very interesting interview where basically I think for the sounds it was the day he arrived and uh, just before just after he puts pen to paper Rafa shows him a, a picture or a video clip of him having a you know a trademark Bellamy row with someone and basically says we don't want any anything like that here. You best behave yourself or words to those effects, which 
which uh, you know, and 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 Bellamy says that you know straight away that kind of put him on the back foot and and probably added to his anxiety. I mean, it's well documented he's a boy with Liverpool fan, so he was excited that he would have been at that stage. He also would have been feeling a fair degree of pressure, even though he was quite an experienced player by that point, probably mid to late twenties. Um, and you know, it, it, it just makes you think. You, if you're buying Craig Bellamy, what do you think you're going to get? You know what I mean? You're not going to get some shrinking wallflower. I think probably the majority of managers who and he's had a few a few moves over the years, hasn't he, Bellamy? You'd think the majority of managers who bought him, that's exactly what they did want from him. So it, it's not the first time we've heard that, um, you know, Rafa Benitez on an individual level was not the easiest always to get on with or certainly a bit eccentric, had his idiosyncrasies, should we say. Um, and this carry this tapped into that mentality. Um, but but it, it was interesting to hear someone like Bellamy talk like that. I think has always come across as a very brash, confident character, and it taps into the very the very important message of mental health awareness. Week we, that you know a lot of people, no matter what front people are putting up, everybody has you know a, vul- a vulnerability underneath, and we should all try and kind of bear that in mind. No, certainly, and Doyle. On the tail of him being shown that picture and Rafa giving him a dressing down before he was even even his player or before he even had him in a changing room before giving him a, a team talk or whatever, it, it does lead you to sort of thinking that there are those players that managers go for and sign sometimes that you just think straight away, well, that's not the player you're looking for. As Dan says, Craig Bellamy, the passion, the attitude, it was all part of the package. Or whether that was a player that the manager wanted. I mean, I don't know whether that's the case with. I don't know whether that's the case with Bellamy because you don't forget that he lasted the year, didn't he? Then he left, and then he was back a couple of years later when Kenny was when Kenny Dalglish was in charge. And I think I'm right in saying that he he said I much preferred me second stint, even though they got to the Champions League final in the first in the when his first time there. I think he came on a sub, didn't he, in the final? I'm pretty yeah, sure he didn't start. He didn't start. start. He definitely came on. Yeah, um, against AC Milan. So. Yeah, Bellamy, it was always an interesting one. People forget that he was there twice. If you ask fans of other clubs, because they think a member of Newcastle or one of his many other clubs, but possibly not Liverpool. But yeah, you're right. You know, as Dan said, uh, Rafa, having dealt with him quite a lot at the time, he was uh, an interesting chap. Uh, one thing he didn't want to do was upset him in the sense that he was always having running battles and he found it very difficult to let go. You, you look at how he you dealt with or didn't deal with what was happening with Hicks and Gillette and to a lesser extent, Rick Parry and always wanted us to get, he always wanted a little bit more when he was uh, signing players. So, I mean, there was no real suggestion Bellamy wasn't a Benitez signing. I think, in fact, I'll tell you what, I can, I can remember where I was when they were, were, the first time I wrote something about they were going to sign him. I was in Cologne for the World Cup in 2006. So, I'm pretty it's sure. They hadn't taken over yet, I think. No, they, had to, they, they hadn't taken over then. So, that would have been a Rick Parry buy, wouldn't it? So, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, Benitez, as, as Dan said, he's renowned for having a good tick. You, you hear it all the time that you're a great tactician, not so great man manager, but he got results from uh, certainly got results from Liverpool early in his uh, Anfield career. Certainly did. And Matt, on Craig Bellamy, that first spell, just to, to round things off, I think the, the real standout moment from, of course, in that second spell won the League Cup, but that, that night in the new Camp, the golf swing celebration uh, and all of that, it was all right out of, out of a very bad situation for the club and for Craig Bellamy and John Arnarisa involved. But it showed that sort of human side of things that I suppose it was, it was a comical celebration, but one that always does resonate and sort of sit in the mind. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those moments that you remember, isn't it? When when people say Craig Bellamy's name, that's one of the first things that pops into my mind, certainly. And I think that, as much as anything, underlines the sort of difference between you know Rafa and, and Craig Bellamy as as the two different characters. Obviously, Bellamy was an attacking player, someone with creativity, and was quite boisterous and loud. And then you think of Rafa Benitez, and it's you know all of the opposite of those words. Whether that's on the pitch, very defensively, very rigid. Um, and off the pitch as well, very reserved and, and quiet. So, yeah, it, it just sort of underlines it. And you know, I think Dan touched on it before. It's the kind of signing that Liverpool wouldn't make now because it's much more cohesive with Michael Edwards and, and Jurgen Klopp. So, yeah, he was uh, he was a good player on his day and, and certainly had his moments, Craig Bellamy. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting as well actually because he's now a manager himself. I think Anderlecht's under-21s team, Craig Bellamy, with obviously Vincent Company being over there. You, you sort of ask yourself the question, I wonder what bits of Rafa's management has he taken on board and, and sort of put into his own game? So, you know, maybe the two of them didn't get on at the time, but I'm sure there will have been, you know, a lot of things that, that he would have learned from him. I'm sure if you ask John Arisa about uh, Craig Bellamy, he might say something a bit different about that being a comic incident. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, as I say, it, it was a bad incident for the club, and as I, I did say for for John Arisa and Craig Bellamy themselves, but Bellamy did make light of the situation. Well, that wraps us off here for this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. To stick across all the Liverpool news and views you need, head to the Liverpool Echo. Thanks for joining us. To those who have stuck with us live on YouTube, and to those listening wherever you do get your audio on demand but from blood red from myself guy clark matt addison ian doyle and dan k thanks for your time and your company we'll catch you later you've been listening to the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo